I'm Elise Orlowski, a senior video director here at Kramer. And I'm Trip Underwood, a creative director at Kramer. And at Kramer, we work with so many incredibly fascinating people from all over multiple industries. We have so many great conversations, many that are just too good to keep to ourselves. So now we're sharing them with the world. Right here from Kramer Studios. This is Pivot Points. Welcome to another episode of Pivot Points. I'm your host, Trip Underwood. And today we're going to be taking a look at brand strategy, or more specifically, brand transformation. What it means, why it's done, and how to do it right. And to break it all down for us, we have Ted Nelson, who's co-founder and CEO of Mechanica. Uh, Ted's a brand transformation expert. He's worked with a lot of Fortune 500 companies, has more than a few FE awards to show for it. So I'd like to welcome Ted, and, and thanks so much for being here, my friend. Thank you, Trip. It's a real pleasure. Not a problem. So, Ted, I'm wondering, just to start it off, if you could tell us a little bit about Mechanica, the kind of work you do, how long you've been around, that sort of thing, some housekeeping. Yeah, Me- Mechanica, the name, um, came out of an exercise in rethinking the mechanics of branding um, to really create a very different kind of purpose-built resource that's really tailored to these times that we live in that are, that are quite different um, from the times of, of the relationship that consumers and brands had in the Mad Men era. And mm-hmm. we've been in business for 19 years. Um, we've led the charge on about 10 to 15 brand transformations a year. So you do the math, we, we've transformed a lot of brands. And, and uh, we were born out of a fundamental reality that the nature, the relationship between, between consumers, whether it's B2B or B2C, and, and brands has gone through a fundamental shift. And that shift really happened about 19 or 20 years ago when we were launched, coming out of the first dot-com boom, which seems so long ago, and and really the rise of this notion of of the age of the pivot. And Mm -hmm. that's the name, coincidentally, of of this podcast series. But it used to be, if you were unlucky enough to take marketing classes, um, you know, in the 1980s or 1990s, um, the strength of a brand was defined around consistency and, yeah. and the, the contract, the consumer contract and the brand and its customer was based around this notion that you're not going to change. So the value of a Walmart or the value of a Dunkin Donuts was born out of the fact that you knew what to expect. It yes. was constant. Um, and then digital disruption happened, um, you know, the first dot com boom. And all of a sudden, the notion of the pivot and the most notion of evolving along with your customers became really, really important. Um, and that was a big shift. It was less about consistency. And more about what have you done for me lately? Are you staying ahead of me? Are you out ahead of my nerd, my needs? Are you meeting new things for me? Think about brands like Amazon and Starbucks and Virgins. And those are brands that are super dynamic and, and constantly changing. And, and the challenge with that is, as a brand, is frequently your business outgrows your brand. Mm-hmm. And, and your brand, instead of being out in front of, of your business, creating opportunities for you, managing expectations, setting expectations, surprising and delighting, um, your brand is trailing and holding you, holding you back. Um, the problem is it's easier to create a, a, a blitzy new ad campaign or a new website or a new PR program um, than it is to actually transform your brand. Because that becomes a speed exercise. Um, it opens a Pandora's box of everybody in your company and leadership position and getting involved. It can take a long time. It can be needlessly painful. So we felt there's an opportunity to create a, an organization, a company, a process, a methodology, custom built for this age of the pivot, custom built for the reality that brands need to transform themselves every five or 10 years to stay on track with where their business is going and where their customer needs to uh, needs to take them. So walk me through, if you will, um, the difference between a brand transformation and a brand refresh. You know, we're, obviously we're talking more than just redesigning a website or, or updating a logo here and there. Um, what is the difference between a brand transformation and a brand refresh? And, and when does it become needed in your opinion? 
Yeah, it's it's a great question. Um, it's useful to start with a definition of what is a brand, um, sure. and and the way we define a brand, and we would argue the correct definition of the brand is the sum total of interactions across all touch points. It's not the logo, um, it's not the website, it's not the ad campaign, it's not the most recent sales pitch or conversation you've had with the salesperson, but the sum total of all those interactions and what those accrue to and how those shape um, impressions. Sure. And so a brand refresh is you know, let's tweak the logo, let's tweak the website, um, let's evolve our ad campaign. It's, it's incremental, it's evolutionary. Um, brands are constantly refreshing themselves. Um, it's primarily a marketing-driven exercise. It fundamentally lives in the world of tactics rather than strategy. Um, a brand transformation is when you say, let's let's stop for a second. Let, let's pull the camera back and let's look at what's going to be involved in strategically transforming or significantly evolving the entire the brand experience across all touch points. Um, and that becomes a very different exercise. All of a sudden, it becomes more of a C-suite-led um, exercise. The CMO might might bring us in. Um, we're as likely to be brought in by a CMO as we are by a CEO or, or a private equity firm. Um, but the exercise is strategic in nature, um, and it's designed to impact all touch points. It's designed to impact the vision, mission, values of a company, um, the talent brand, and, and the attraction retention strategies, um, what the head of sales and what what his or her salespeople are saying out on the front lines and building their brand on a daily basis. Um, certainly the marketing, the demand gen, um, thought leadership, um, really much broader, much fuller spectrum. Um, and it's much more about process and organizational alignment as much as it is about creative deliverables. Um, so that's really that the, the magnitude is is significant, right? You might say that a, yeah. a brand transformation process is in order of magnitude, right? 10x more challenging. Uh, more comprehensive than than a brand refresh. Okay, great. So you said a word that's near and dear to my heart. You talk a little bit about about the strategy behind some of this thinking. So at Kramer, we're we're very diligent about making sure that all of our creative projects are really informed by some kind of strategic thinking. The here's what we're suggesting, and here why we believe in the idea kind of mentality. What kind of different strategies do you employ when either suggesting a brand transformation or enacting one? Because I imagine it touches many different aspects of a business, which means you have to be very in tune with a lot of different people and make sure they're all kind of singing the same song, so to speak. Yeah, it's a great question. It's usually catalyzed uh, by a, a shift or a disruption in, in some area. And, okay. and on our website, we sort all of our case studies in, into five or six sort of fundamental things that catalyze it. And that usually has a huge influence over the nature of the exercise. But, but to your point, um, the exercise by its very definition involves all cross-functional stakeholders. So typically it's a group of eight to 10 of the leadership members of the organization that are involved, but it's typically triggered by one of several things. One of the big ones is new audiences. Okay. Um, so you decide to go after a different audience or, or for example, uh, we do a lot of work with cybersecurity firms and cybersecurity used to be the sort of the, the engine room, you know, the chief information security officer and, and the security operations center, the SOC is where that lived, very technical stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and no one, you know, sort of really wanted to get their hands dirty, except for people who are experts in that world. Well, that the, the magnitude of breaches that are happening have all of a sudden made cybersecurity a, a, a C-suite and a board issue. Yep. So all of a sudden, if you're a cybersecurity company, um, the CEO and the board of directors is an audience as well. So that's a new audience that calls for a very different kind of brand, right? One was catering to a very technical constituency. And all of a sudden, you also need to cater to a business audience, right? Yep. Um, so that's, I think that's one example. Another another trigger frequently is a category disruption. Um, all of a sudden, Amazon steps into your turf <laughs> and all, all bets are off, right? So all yep. of a sudden, you're competing, you're competing with a bunch of niche players. You're competing with Amazon, right? It's a different brand altogether required to... Uh, 
to do that. Um, competitive proliferation or consolidation. We have a lot of situations where we work with a with a company that was an early mover in in its category, um, perhaps even created the category, okay. and and uh, so it was all you know blue skies for a while. So all of a sudden, a lot of other companies noticed the category they created, and so you go from being in a set of one, in which case your brand isn't really that important. It's really about what yep. you deliver functionally that nobody else can deliver. All of a sudden, you get some traction, you get 50 million, 100 million in revenue, and all of a sudden, you have eight different competitors that sort of come out of nowhere. So all of a sudden, your brand matters a lot, and, mm-hmm. and being differentiated and not just functionally relevant becomes a big deal. Um, product service innovations. Um, you're rolling out a new product, a dramatic new um, you know, offering, and and your brand was tied to a legacy offering. So all of a sudden, you need to entirely rethink your brand. Um, and frequently, mergers and acquisitions. We do a lot of work for private equity firms where they, you know, acquire five different companies in a space. They roll them up into one, and all of a sudden, they need a brand to to wrap it into really go to market with their enhanced enhanced proposition. So I think any one of those triggers has a profound influence over the nature of the investigation and the kind of research that you do. Um, but ultimately. Um, the cross-functional leadership team that has to live and breathe that brand after the exercise is completed um, is the same is the same group. Right. What does a successful brand transformation look like? Like, given any one of the cases you just outlined, internal buy-in, external buy-in, walk me through a little bit of of what you think a successful brand transformation, how that affects everybody that it touches. Yeah. So there's really two criteria that, that I look at and we look at in assessing this. The, the, the first is is organizational alignment around the new brand. And the second is the ability to which that is fully activated, that the brand is living in, the organization is living and breathing the brand. And that's really about breadth and depth of activation. So so the the alignment piece is is coming out of an exercise. Do all of the lead, do all of the leadership members in the organization understand what the new brand position is all about? Do they understand what the core values are that animate that? Do they understand how that informs their interactions in whatever their respective domain area of expertise? Does the head of sales understand it? Does the CEO understand it? Does the CMO understand it? Does the chief human resources officer understand it? Um, But more important than just understanding it is do they possess a shared sense of ownership of that? Do they actually feel like they help to to, to create it? And a core part of our process, and we've learned over doing this for, for 19 years or so, is is it's not enough to just try and sell someone on the brilliance of a solution. They need to feel like they were a part of creating it. Look, you've got a lot of smart people leading these companies um, and they all have a lot of skin in the game and, and they need to really feel a sense of shared ownership around whatever that positioning is. So that, so sort of test number one is do you have a leadership team who doesn't just understand, but actually has a shared sense of ownership and is, is excited to activate it in whatever their area of expertise is. Then the second sort of um, demonstration of success is breadth and depth of application, right? Um, you know, it obviously always hits the website, right? So that's the first impact. It usually hits, um, you know, the sales kickoff, the SCO event. It usually hits, you know, the first big event. Um, it usually hits whatever the next big ad campaign or demand gen program is. And those are kind of the obvious ones. Um, the, the equally, if not more interesting ones, is does it inform how the chief human re- resources officers positions the company to to prospects and employees? Yep. Um, the, ba- the battle for talent now is unprecedented, and in many instances, one of the key triggers is, is, is issues with acquisition and retention of talent. So does it impact that? Does it impact product and service innovation? Um, does it impact thought leadership initiatives? So really looking comprehensively for the impact of the brand activation beyond the usual suspects. And so really trying to nail both of those. The leadership team is totally engaged around it, and they're actively bringing it to life across the entire spectrum of interactions an organization has with the with the outside world. Yeah. In my world, working with brands, 
you know, I use so much of that terminology of, of what do we need to do to make sure you get the proper buy-in from stakeholders? And I think this notion of what do I need to do in order to get you the proper amount of feeling of ownership among those stakeholders is a much better way to position that and look at it because it is this idea of you need to, it can't just be a good tagline. It can't just be a really good logo. People need to make it feel like it's actionable and identify with it. And I do think that requires a different layer of thinking. That, that, that exactly is, is right. And you really honed in on what is one of the core sort of um, pieces of cracking the code on, on these successfully is that shared sense of ownership. And mm -hmm. it's not about coming in as an outside consultant with the tablets and the brilliance right. of all your smart people. And here's the answer. Um, because there's no single answer that's absolutely right. We, we typically sort of like there's three to five possible solutions. Yeah. And the one of those that, that, that all meet the criteria and, and, and the one of those that's the right solution is the one that your leadership team can, can agree upon and really get behind. Right. Yeah. So orchestrating that process. So they feel like they help to not just identify, it, but actually help shape it is that's, that's the, um, that's the big win. And that's why one of the, one of the biggest problems, um, uh, organizations make, and they ask me, what have you learned in terms of what the biggest mistakes are? And I say, too many people are not enough people. So getting that number right, which is typically sort of six to eight, you know, oh, senior leadership team members is really um, critical to engendering that yeah. shared ownership. Because a lot of what we do is also so subjective too. You know, there's a lot of thought, there's a lot of research, there's a lot of strategy, but at the end of the day, sometimes there's, I like the way this sounds versus I like the way this sounds and getting yeah. enough people in there to make sure that we're hearing all voices and all paths are being considered. And that subjectivity isn't really subjective at all. What it really is, is, is the culture, right? That, that hard to define living, breathing essence of an organization. And does this feel like us, right? We may right. be going into a new space with our brand, but it still has to be, have, have a genuine, authentic connection with who we are as a group, right? And no one can necessarily define that. We try to, but you can't fully define that, but you know, when you, when you see it, when you right? See it. And it's a process. Yeah. Um, tell me about success. We're talking about success, uh, what this looks like. Um, any personal case studies that you can share that your team has done of brand transformations that you think have been particularly impactful or you've seen really great results with? Yeah, it, it, it's, it's a big database to uh, reflect back on. And, and in good our problem to have. Yeah, it, it, it's a nice problem to have. We like to reflect and, and think about sort of what are the most successful ones and, and how would we define it and and why. Um, the ones that I, I'm proudest of, I think overall we're the proudest of, um, is the ones that really help engineer um, a, a real state change in what organization does, right? When, when, when you actually couldn't pull this off if you didn't transform your brand. And so really brand transformation in the purest sense. And there's a couple, there's a couple that, that, are, that are sort of favorites. One, one is, is a greatest hits from about 10 years ago. Um, and it was apt, um, ABT, a uh, Cambridge-based, really highly esteemed public policy organization, sort of one of the first movers in the 1960s in terms of bringing together, you know, 100, you know, really well-intentioned, brilliant PhDs to help figure out how to solve worthy problems. Like, how do we wipe out illiteracy in Washington, D.C.? Or how do we, how do we, you know, sort of reinvent the water system in this country in Africa um, and and uh, how do we put real brain power against that? So app grew and grew and grew, um, and uh, then all of a sudden the the biggest growth part of their business became the international development part. So so if if the if the public policy part was the the the, the big brains thinking about models and solutions, the the international development was boots on the ground around the world and across America cities actually implementing these things. And the organization grew from a couple hundred people to a couple thousand people worldwide. And they had they had a new CEO and she came to us and said, look, I've got a problem. Um, I've got two apps. I've got super practical, hardworking people around the world digging trenches and, yeah. and teaching classes. 
And then I've got these PhDs in Bethesda and, and Cambridge who are thinking big thoughts and they're, they're two different worlds. And I want one out, right? And we can't continue to grow and compete against firms like McKinsey and Bain who are now in our space unless we're one out, right? Yep. So it was a massive brand transformation undertaking. And it's where we bro broke the rule of eight I said earlier, because um, everybody in the, in the company, in the organization was a nonprofit, all had an ownership stake in it. And you had lots of really smart people. So we had to orchestrate this thing. So about 30 or 40 people could be involved in the process and get to a non-compromised output. So instead of taking three months, it took, you know, nine months. Okay. Um, but we got to a really powerful place, a total reimagining of the brand. Um, we call the governing brand idea um, was bold thinkers driving real world impact, a total reimagining of the visual look and feel of the brand. And they're still using every bit of those elements 10 years later. And it's had a huge impact on the growth of their business. So I love that one because after a great organization, but also the notion of bringing together two apps as one through brand transformation is really exciting to me. Uh, another recent one, which is kind of fun, we'll all relate to, especially those of us who are over 50 or over 60, um, was a billion dollar company, um, five-star senior living, um, one of the largest players in terms of retirement for all economic classes across the country. And so their business was historically a real estate business. And, you know, um, when when sort of preceding generations retired, there's a point in time when the, when the significant percentage, I want to go to retirement home. Yeah. Now. I want to I want to have things be easier. I, I don't want to, you know, be responsible for running my own my own house, et cetera, et cetera. Well, big shifts happen with boomers and subsequent generations. So they don't want to go to retirement home. They mm -hmm. want to age in place. Yep. So all of a sudden, um, five-star senior living needed to evolve their core business from being one of, of, of real estate to one of services. And they had oh, learned a lot in terms of helping people age, right? So how do you bring that to their homes? How do you bring that to where they are? And they weren't, they weren't leaving the real estate business, but they needed to add to the services business. And Five Star Senior Living as a holding company name certainly didn't work for that, right? Yeah. So it was a big transformation exercise. It came out with Alaris Life, a new name. Um, it's still going on right now. There's a lot of pieces to it that I, I can't talk about, um, but I love the dynamism of a disruption in the category, right? From people going to retirement yes. homes to retire, our core business is real estate. Do people want to age in place? Our core business becomes services, right? And all of a sudden, your brand from your legacy just doesn't make sense in terms of where you're going. So really, really proud of proud of that one. Yeah, and I, I love this idea of taking knowledge and information that's foundational to the brand and what the brand does, and then being like, how can we apply this to the new situation either being forced on us internally or actually not to... You know, this idea yeah. of we've worked yeah. so hard to collect this information and it still has so much value. We just need to think slightly different about how we communicate it, how we process it, how we package it, and ultimately how we share it. Um, but it's it's this idea of, of a transformation as opposed to a complete rebuild of, of shifting thoughts to yeah. apply. And and that is absolutely right. Our clients come to us, they can afford us because they have businesses that are significant yeah. scale, right? So they're looking to, to selectively leverage those legacy attributes that are relevant to their future while adding new attributes that are required to seize the opportunity in front of them, right? So it, it's this it's this blending that has that has to uh, happen. But the legacy attributes are always the most important ones. Right. Those are why you have permission to go after something new. No one would care about what Alaris Life is doing if it wasn't because they have a you know forty year track record right. of helping millions of people retire very comfortably, right? So they have they have credentials unlike anything else. The trick is that those credentials aren't fully as they were packaged relevant to where they're going. So all of a sudden it's less about homes and more about we understand how to help people age comfortably, right? And it, it's a, it's a higher order set of attributes that comes out of that legacy, but really creates you know really significant new opportunities for for where they need to go. 
Brand equity is everything. And it's just the idea of yeah, recognizing that it is it is a movable, evolving thing. It is not something in time that doesn't move is is what separates the the leaders from the the followers, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Well, awesome. Ted, uh, that's all the time we have today, but I want to thank you so much for joining us. Super interesting uh, conversation. Appreciate all your insight. And to everyone listening and watching at home, thank you so much for joining us. It's been another episode of Pivot Points. Thank you so much. Really appreciated it.